On this week's prequel episode, we follow up on our Kiss Kiss Bang Bang listener polls, learn about Wolfgang Reitherman, and preview 101 Dalmatians. Hello and welcome back to this film. Is a podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have some stuff to get to. Not a ton, but we're going to make it a nice tight episode this week. So let's get right in to our patron shout outs. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons. That's why. We have one new patron this week at the $5 Hugo Award winning level. And that is Almazi CR. Almasi CR. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. My apologies. But thank you for supporting us at the $5 level. Hope you're enjoying that bonus content last month, or I guess technically this, yeah, last month, uh, our discussion of the menu. And uh, just before too long here this month, we'll be talking about Happiest Season. So hop on at that $5 level if you want to hear that monthly bonus content. And as always, our Academy Award winning patrons, and they are Vic Hammer, Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Gratch, just Gratch, Shelby's in her Capybara era, That Darn Skag, V Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all for continuing to support us at that $15 a month level. Katie, let's see what the people had to say about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, on Patreon, we had three votes for the movie and zero for the book. Um, Steve from Arizona said, I don't think there was going to be any doubt who won. Never read the book, but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is watchable enough for me. I do like seeing the challenges of turning an older story into a contemporary one. Fun episode, as always. Mm-hmm. Thank you. On Facebook, we didn't have any comments, but we had three votes Real for the quick, movie. Real quick, I just re- I'm actually surprised that Steve is Steve's review of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is watchable enough for me. Because to me, I just based on the you know the things that Steve tends to like, I mm-hmm. would have assumed Steve would love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So you know, it's the same, same. You know what I mean? I was yeah. just a little surprised to that, to see watchable enough as the yeah. the verdict. It's not not like the the ringing endorsement no. that I might yes. have expected yes. from Steve. Yeah, it just seems like right in your wheelhouse. I don't know, but I, I guess I could be wrong. Uh, so on Facebook, we didn't have any comments. We had three votes for the movie and one for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, as always on Facebook, never sure if an outlier like that actually meant to vote for the book or if they were just clicking the like button. Yep. Uh, no comment, so can't yep. be for sure there. On Twitter, we had five votes for the movie and zero for the book. Um, Kelly Napier said, I had to vote for the movie because I couldn't finish the book. Hmm. I'm a completionist and have forced my way through some real stinkers in the past because I can't allow myself to give up, and I just couldn't do this one. Luckily, I found the movie hilariously enjoyable. Interesting. I I mean, fair enough. It's not like I can understand quitting because it's not like it's important. It's not like, you, you know what I mean? It's not <laughs> like it's, it's particularly important that you read it, but I, I didn't find it uh, like, I don't know. I was just like, eh, it's fine. Like, yeah. I, like I said, I... I it, it it didn't strike me as a particular stinker, shall we say. It just seemed kind of, you know. Dated. Dated and it, exactly what it said on the tin, which is like, 
you know, a, th- a mystery about a a bunch of women getting killed in the 40s. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, yeah, it's just because mm-hmm. I, I at least enjoyed like trying to figure out what was going to happen enough to 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 push through it. But yeah, also I had to. But fair enough. <laughs> On Instagram, we had four votes for the movie and one for the book. That one vote for the book was from Tim Wahoo. Uh, who also commented mm. and said, "Books are always better than moves." Cool. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know what that means, Tim. Sorry. No, Tim is just here to irritate yeah. me. Tim. Tim exists purely to to troll. Uh, so our listener, our, our listener polls winner was the movie, um, with fifteen votes to the books too. Yes. So. Uh, I, I maybe our stuff got buried, and or maybe people just didn't care about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is interesting. I was expecting we would get more feedback than we did. Yeah, um, was, this was kind of the saddest. Um, maybe the saddest feedback we've ever. ever had. And again, maybe it got buried some. Maybe the t- maybe the title, uh, the algorithm kill. I don't know. I, yeah, I wouldn't no. surprise me if there's reasons that some of the stuff didn't. You know, did. But uh, but yeah, not as much feedback as as I was expecting. Considering it felt like it had a little bit of. It yeah. seemed like people were interested. Yeah, we going got um, several comments going in of people who were excited that we were covering yeah, it. So then, I was yeah. a little surprised to not get yep. more feedback on the back end. But oh well, what are you gonna do? Yep. All right, it's time to learn a little bit about Wolfgang Reitherman. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Um, Wolfgang Woolley. Reitherman, mm-hmm. um, Wooly, not Wolfie, which I would have anticipated. Wooly, uh, he was an animator, director, and producer uh, at Disney Animation Studios, and he was one of the nine old men, mm-hmm. uh, the group of uh, original core animators at Disney. They're called the nine old men. Yeah. Uh, so Reitherman worked on thirty-one individual projects while he was at Disney, um, starting with. Uh, the original 1937's Snow White and Seven Dwarfs um, and ending with 1981's The Fox and the Hound. And that obviously includes a ton of other Disney classics, Dumbo, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, The Aristocats, um, as well as a few that we've previously covered on this show, uh, The Rescuers, The Jungle Book, and Robin Hood. Uh-huh. Uh, so he was one of three directors that worked on 101 Dalmatians. You're careful, you're 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 veering dangerously <laughs> close into my movie facts right now. Okay, well that's all I'm going to say <laughs> so we can consider it a tease okay. for your movie facts. Okay. Um Reitherman was born in Munich in 1909 and his family moved to California when he was a child. Um he was discovered while he was studying at Schoenard, 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 I don't know, (laughs) Um, Art Institute, where his paintings caught the eye of Philip L. Dyke, um, a drawing and painting instructor there. Mm. Um, He was really impressed with uh, with Reitherman's work, and he actually showed his paintings to Walt Disney, Mm. um, after which Reitherman was invited to the studio. Um, so apparently Disney also liked his work. It seems so. Yeah. Um, Reitherman initially wanted to work as a watercolorist, but Disney suggested that he should be an animator. Um, probably the safer bet for job security, I would think. Was there watercolorists within Disney? Like, what does that mean? 
Do you know? Um, not off the top of my head, but if I had to hazard a guess, um, I would think that a watercolorist is probably just doing like a coloring component of probably like backgrounds and things mm, for the movies. Okay. Cause I mean, if you remember it all, used some to of be the done older ones yeah, by well, hand. Well, no, 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 I know, but I like that. Normally I would think those people would just be called colorists. Uh, so it's just the specific of a watercolorist was just interesting to me yeah. because yeah, normally i like the, the specificity of it because I think you're right that the people who like filled in the cells yeah. were called colorists. Yeah. But the specificity of watercolorists to me suggest maybe like backgrounds, but I don't know for sure. Okay. Um, so he was officially hired in 1933 and initially worked on um, some like silly symphonies and other short projects that Disney was putting out before they began working on full length animated features. Um, while he was there in those kind of early days, he animated The Face in the Magic Mirror and mm-hmm. Snow White. Uh, Monster the Whale in Pinocchio, The Dinosaur Fight in Fantasia, and Timothy Q. Mouse in Dumbo, or at least some of his scenes. He also animated The Rat and Lady and the Tramp, which, and I will die on this hill, is the scariest Disney villain. I don't know if I've... It's been so long since I've seen... I think I've only seen The Lady and Tramp once when I was like a little kid. I don't remember that anything That rat about is it. terrifying. I'll take your word for it. Because I truly do not recall. In 1942, Ratherman left Disney Studios to serve in World War II for the United States Army Air Forces, um, earning the Distinguished Flying Cross during his time in the in the Air Force. Um, he rejoined the studio in April of 1947, um, where he animated the Headless Horseman chase scene in the Legend of Sleepy Hollow section um, in The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Basically, like, a bunch of terrifying stuff from older Disney properties right. this guy was responsible for. Makes sense. Um, and around this time, he claimed that he was instrumental in helping Walt Disney commit to producing Cinderella. Um, so the story goes that upon looking at, like, the rough storyboards, um, Ritherman recalled, quote, I just went in his office, which I rarely did, and I said, gee, that looks great. We ought to do it. And supposedly that was what helped like push Disney to go ahead and commit to making Cinderella. Huh. Um, Cinderella was Disney Animation's first full length animated feature that wasn't composed of like separate shorts yeah. um, since the end of the Second World War. Um, it was also Disney's greatest box office success since Snow White, and it helped pull the studio out of massive debt. Okay. During his tenure as a director and a producer, Ritherman allowed for recycled or um, limited animation from prior animated films to be used. Um, This was most notably done in The Rescuers, Robin Hood, and The Aristocats. Uh Um, This proved to be controversial within the studio, as many animators disliked it, and the process apparently didn't save any time or money, at least according to Wikipedia. Um, I think we discussed this maybe in our Robin Hood prequel. I feel like maybe we, that sounds vaguely. Familiar. I feel like we talked about recycled animation at some point, but I can't remember exactly when we did that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so Ritherman was initially slated to direct the Fox and the Hound, uh, but following uh, creative conflicts with co-director Art Stevens, he was taken off that project in 1979. Um, another fun fact 
all three of Ratherman's sons, uh, Bruce, Richard, and Robert, mm-hmm. all provided voices for Disney characters, including Mowgli in The Jungle Book, Christopher Robin in We the Pooh and the Honey Tree, and Wart in The Sword and the Stone. Which I think we probably also We've talked about in like probably in the Jungle Book yeah, episode. Yeah, the Jungle Book episode, I think we mentioned that. Um, Ratherman retired in 1981, um, and he passed after a single car accident near his home in California in huh. 1985. And he was posthumously named a Disney legend in 1989. Amazing. So good for him. There you go. All right. Let's move on now and learn a little bit about the book. That the 101 Dalmatians is based on. 101 Dalmatians is here. The puppies are here. Puppies everywhere. I know. It's the classic story of a romance. Oh, I beg your pardon. I'm so sorry. That led to a marriage. That led to 15 puppies. Why, you old rascal. That became a happy family. Lucky, Lucky, get down. We can't see. I'm hungry, Mother. But someone evil wants those puppies. Anita, darling. Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil. If she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. The 101 Dalmatians. Um, they dropped the... Uh, article for yeah. the movie title also the movie title well I, I don't know if i have a note about it but when i i noticed when i was looking up facts and whatnot uh is written out it's not numerical it's written out 101 but it's numerical in some places well on like the poster and on imdb yeah. and everything it's like, written out as 101 yes. But the, I distinctly remember having a VHS copy of it as a kid that had it Uh-oh. as a you know, as a number. Oh, are we? Or do we have a, a Mandela effect thing going on here? <laughs> Let's. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's probably true. But like yeah. I said, I just I was surprised because I thought all everywhere it was just the number like right. 101 Dalmatians. But like I said, uh, IMDb. I think on Wikipedia. Um, uh, the several of the posters and other artwork that I saw, it was always written out. With, like, the words. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Because that was not how I remembered it. Yeah. I think it's both yeah. in different places. That would make sense, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, The 101 Dalmatians, the book, is a 1956 children's novel by English novelist and and playwright Dodie Smith. Um, and I looked at Dodie Smith's list of works, and the only other title that I recognized was the novel I Capture the Castle. Mm-hmm which I have never read, but I have heard of. Uh, The 101 Dalmatians was actually originally published serially in the magazine Women's Day under the title The Great Dog Robbery. Uh And it has a 1967 sequel called The Starlight Barking, which continues from the end of the novel and... I want to read it so bad because I just if you don't know what this is about, just go read the synopsis on Wikipedia and you'll be like, what the fuck? OK, yeah, it's a great time. Mean, it's the Starlight a great title. Barking is like a wild title for a follow up to what is and it most sounds remembered as like, like a children's novel and, and even movie. wilder plot. Interesting. Um, According to Wikipedia, uh, The 101 Dalmatians received positive critical reviews, um, although I couldn't find any actual 
pull quotes for any of those reviews. Hmm. Um, and aside from the 1961 film that we will be discussing, the novel was also adapted as a BBC audio drama in 1996, a stage play in 2000, a musical in 2009, and another musical in 2020. Uh, the property is also a well that Disney has continually returned to. I didn't see any notes about this in your notes, so I went ahead and included no, it because yeah. I thought it was interesting. Uh, well, I mean, I kind of mentioned the re-release in theaters once and yeah. later, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so the original 1961 film was re-released in theaters four different times, uh, so they made money off of that every single time. Uh, then it was made into a live action film in 1996. We probably all remember that, all us millennials. Uh, it was funny. Somebody asked me when I mentioned we were doing the 101 Dalmatians. I mentioned yeah. somebody just at work or something. I can't remember. Uh, that We were doing 101 Dalmatians and they were like, oh, which one? And I was like, what do you mean which one? And they were like, the live action one? or the, And I was like, oh, that's right. And it's funny because as soon as they said it, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I've seen yeah. the live action one. I've probably seen the live action one more than I've seen the the uh the animated one honestly because mm -hmm. yeah but i i had completely forgotten about it so. yeah which and i technically the live action one is an adaptation i was gonna ask the, that when the, you said when you didn't yeah. list it in the adaptations i was like does that not count or is it just I mean, a remake i and think not it, an it depends on who you're asking because yeah. i think it's it's more of a remake of the 1961 animated film than it is like going back to the novel i right. think but okay. You know, I, I neither here it. nor I there. Seen, I haven't read the book, and I haven't seen that movie uh, recently enough to yeah to know. Um, and that that movie, that live action adaptation, also got its own sequel, 102 Dalmatians hmm. in 2000. Do you remember that one? No, I don't know if I do remember that it got a live action. Show. I remember that one pretty well because we had it on VHS. Mm. Uh, the animated film also received a straight-to-VHS sequel in 2003, as Disney was doing at the time, um, called 101 Dalmatians 2, Patch's <laughs> London Adventure. Um, uh, look, I, I'm, <laughs> 102 Dalmatians is just a better title. 101 I Dalmatians 2, colon, <laughs> Patch's <laughs> London Adventure is a terrible title. Although it fits for the Disney VH home VHS, it feels yes. right for a VHS. Yes, home this release. was in the in the straight to VHS sequel era, yeah. and that title is right in there. Yeah. Um, and finally, the story's villain was the subject of the 2021 live action prequel film Cruella, mm -hmm. which covered the titular character's origin story. Yes. Which, Which I, I still don't know. I've heard so I've many I've heard mixed so many mixed things about that. that. I don't I've, know. I, I watched like part of it, oh, maybe on TV or something at some point, like a little snippet of it. I don't remember I where. Say, I was like, I mean, I guess maybe, I guess we did have cable for a while, but like. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely, I don't mm, remember. Um, or I might have seen like a clip of it on YouTube or something. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I've heard a lot of mixed things about it. Um, I mean, Cruella DeVille is the most interesting character by far yeah. from this whole franchise, so fair enough. She's great in Once Upon a Time. She's my favorite <laughs> of those villains. She that, that actress who does Cruella in Once Upon a Time is kills it, in my opinion. I think she's great. <laughs> Uh, so we anyway, we have um, all of these different takes on this story and yet no adaptation of the starlight barking. 
Interesting. Uh, well, I without I know nothing about the story, but it, maybe there's a reason. Maybe there we'll is. We'll have to talk about it because you're up to tell me what the story is one day because I will probably <laughs> not read it. So, all right, that's it for the book. Let's now find out a little bit of stuff about 101 Dalmatians, the film. The world was such a wholesome place until Cruella, Cruella de Vil. She's going to make coats out of us. I worship us. Now, the dog napping of the century. A sunbillet! <laughs> has become an all out Disney rescue mission. Up the double nap! One hundred and one Dalmatians. Regina, slip. Didn't we, Dan? Hundred and One Dalmatians is a nineteen sixty one film directed by Clyde Jernimi, who was director on Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and Sleeping Beauty, and uh, others. I'm sure those were just the top four on his IMDb. Uh, Hamilton Lusk, uh, who was on Cinderella, Pinocchio, Mary Poppins, and Alice in Wonderland. And, as you mentioned earlier, Wolfgang Reitherman, who did The Aristocats, uh, The Jungle Book, The Sword in the Stone, Sleeping Beauty, The Rescuers, Fox and the Hound, etc., etc. The film was written by Bill Peet, uh, who wrote uh, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Dumbo, Alice in Wonderland, Pinocchio, and Fantasia. Uh, and all of those credits, they may not have all specifically been... Those are all movies they worked on. I don't know right. for sure that they did the exact same thing. I I think most of them, I think I, I generally try to just pull the movies where they're doing the thing that they're credited for in this movie, but sometimes I miss. And yeah. especially in Disney in those days, some of the people went from like the animation department to writing to back, you know. Yeah, write, I mean, when I was looking up about Wolfgang Reitherman, I was looking at his like credits and stuff and he yeah. was like animator, 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 director, 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 producer, animator, yeah. director. Yeah. So and like I said, I, those are all movies they worked on. Yeah. Uh, in some capacity, usually, like I said, most most of them are in the capacity that they're credited for in this film, but I, some of them they may not be. The film stars Rod Taylor, J. Pat O'Malley, Betty Lou Gerson, Martha Wentworth, Ben Wright slash Bill Lee. That's one that I put in there. The only one that I noticed on Wikipedia that where the 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 person voicing it and the singing voice were two different people. Hmm. Everybody else, it just showed one credit for them. But yeah. that one in particular. Uh, Kate Bauer, David Frankham, Frederick Warlock, Lisa Davis, Tom Conway, Tudor Owen, George Pelling, Ramsey Hill, and Thurl Ravenscroft. What a name. Of all people, most people, other than Rod Taylor, <laughs> uh, maybe, and a couple others, most people, most, most of our audience probably never really heard of him. The film has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, an 83 on Metacritic, and a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It made $303 million against a budget of just $3.6 million. So, Disney Studios uh, got the rights to the 101 Dalmatians shortly after, like within a year or two of publication of the book, uh, and they actually paid $25,000 for those rights. Uh, at that time, writer Bill Peet was assigned to the project alone. This was actually the first time that, Disney, uh, that a Disney animated film would be scripted by just one person, again, according to Wikipedia. Mm. Uh, prior to this, their animated films were the works of several, other, several writers working together to yeah. kind of which is stories. typically how that goes right 
What do you mean? For like movies and things, yeah, isn't there depends. typically yeah. like a, a team or like a writer's room? Uh, it depends a lot on the movie. Like, and it, it, I, I I couldn't begin to tell you how often, like, what percentage of movies were yeah. written by one person versus like a, a staff or multiple writers. I couldn't even begin to tell you. I, I, both is very common. I'll mm. say that. Fair probably enough. probably more common that multiple writers work on a film than a single one, but it's not uncommon for a single writer to work on a film, especially if they've established themselves as, you know, uh, good at their job. Good at that. Yeah. Like, like, the, right. you know, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but, but a, a lot of big studio movies, yes, have multiple writers and even uncredited people who sometimes who are punching up scripts and stuff. It's, it's complicated. Writers rooms are more common for like TV. That's okay. like a generally yeah. a TV thing where you have like a writer's room. That being said, it's not, it doesn't, it, it's not that it doesn't happen for movies. It's just, I think it's less common for my understanding. Mm-hmm. I don't work in Hollywood, so I don't know for sure, but that's, that's the vibe I get. So according to Mouse Under Glass, Secrets of Disney Animation and Theme Parks, uh, the scene where Pongo and Perdita exchange wedding vows uh, along with the Rad, or, uh, along with the Radcliffs had to be slightly reworked to make the ceremony less religious uh, so as not to offend religious audiences by desecrating the sanctity of marriage by having dogs mm. get married. That's interesting. Because apparently That's the original version of the scene was <laughs> like the dogs were like more closely. I think what I read was that they're more closely like doing the ceremony and like the ceremony was more a more traditional wedding ceremony. Uh-huh. And apparently they reworked it to be a slightly less like. Yeah. Traditional wedding ceremony. Yeah. And that way, hoping that people, religious people <laughs> wouldn't get as mad about dogs getting married is, is again, what uh, according to this one book. Uh, so 101 Dalmatians utilized a fairly new kind of experimental process of using Xerox photography to transfer the drawings of or to, quote, transfer the drawings of animators directly to animation cells, eliminating the inking processing process, end quote. Uh, so according to Wikipedia, this process likely reduced the cost of the film by about half compared to if the film had been traditionally animated. Then, according to Redefining the Line, The Making of 101 Dalmatians, which is a documentary about, obviously, The Making mm. of 101 Dalmatians, but I think Redefining the Line is specifically, it's like focuses, it sounds like, I did not watch the whole thing, I just was able to find, I think this quote came from Wikipedia, but it was pulled from this documentary. And the documentary is available on YouTube if you would like to watch it. I think it's the redefining the line, I imagine, is about this process of using the Xerox process for for inking, um, or essentially inking. Uh, But according to that documentary, Disney Walt himself hated the look of the movie, saying, quote, we're never going to have one of those goddamn things, end quote, referring to the Xerox technique that they used in this movie. He went on to say, quote, Ken's never going to be an art director again, end quote. Damn. So according to Ken Anderson, the art director in question, uh, who chose to, uh, who kind of chose the the, the overall look of the film uh-huh. uh, and and chose to go with this process of Xerox, Xeroxography. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. Uh, it's like, I don't even know if I have that word in here, but I saw several times it being called like Xeroxography, like a combination mm-hmm. of Xerox and photography, basically. Yeah. Uh, according to Ken Anderson, who chose that, uh, Walt Disney did eventually apologize to him. Uh, also from Redefine a Line, quote, he looked very sick. I said, and this is towards the end of Walt's life. He looked very sick. I said, gee, it's great to see you, Walt. And he said, you know that thing you did on Dalmatians? 
He didn't say anything else, but he just gave me this look, and I knew that all was forgiven, and in his opinion, maybe what I did on Dalmatians wasn't so bad. That was the last time I ever saw him. Then a few weeks later, I learned he was gone, end quote. So supposedly, he at least, it didn't sound like much of an apology to me, yeah. but... I don't know. I, Walt Disney sounds like he was probably not a picnic to work for. No, it doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like it, but who, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Betty Lou Gerson, uh, who was actually the narrator from Cinderella, uh, was cast as Cruella DeVille. Uh, she said her accent for Cruella was actually kind of tough to nail down and figure out. She tried a bunch of different things, but she eventually went with what she called, quote, a phony theatrical voice, someone who set sail from New York but hasn't quite reached England, end quote. Mm. And this is very interesting to me. This sent me down a, a wild rabbit hole. Uh, that I can't help but talk about. According to Cruella DeVille villain's history, many people at the time thought that Gerson was doing an imitation of Tallulah Bankhead. And this is the rabbit hole. Tallulah Bankhead is fascinating. <laughs> so I had never <laughs> heard of this actress before, but her Wikipedia is a trip. So she was a well-known actress in the 40s, um, but more interesting than that, like she did, she was in some movies and stuff, and mm -hmm. she was in uh, um, Hitchcock's Lifeboat uh, and some other stuff. Pretty well-known actress, um, but more interesting to me was her personal life. So she she's like really known for her brazen personality and um, and her exploits, shall mm, we say. Mm -hmm. uh, she supposedly smoked 120 cigarettes a day. Nice. Uh, she opposed segregation, <laughs> was a, a, a staunch supporter of civil rights during the time period, uh, was kind of politically active. It seems in a... She was friends with Harry Truman, so, like, I don't know. She's, you know, maybe not, like, a perfect person all around, but, like, she was an interesting, uh, definitely political activist and was a very strong, again, from everything I was able to read, a very staunch supporter of, like, civil rights and, and that sort of thing. I, I, I think I read somewhere that she, like, some parade or something, she was, like, yelling at... Um, Strom Thurmond? Some, some segregationist <laughs> who was, like, in a car driving down uh -huh. the street. She was, like, heckling them or whatever. Anyways, <laughs> so... Uh, apart from that, she had a ton of affairs, very open about her sex life, describing herself as, quote, a very satisfied Jane and, quote, pure as the driven slush. I quote. love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> the Hayes Commission put out a list of 150 actors. If you don't know, the Hayes Commission is, is what informed or part of what developed the Hayes Code, mm -hmm. which is the movie, whatever, yeah. the ratings code the, from yes, back in the, the day. The strict morality code yes. from back in the day. Yeah. Uh, put out a list of 150 actors and actresses that were, quote, unsuitable for the public. And she was at the top of the list under the heading, quote, verbal moral turpitude. <laughs> <laughs> she responded to this supposedly by calling Hayes, quote, a little prick. And, <laughs> quote, she was also rumored, uh, apart from her, her many affairs with men, she was also rumored to have had affairs with Greta Garbo, Marlene Dietrich, Hattie McDaniel, Beatrice Lilly, Alan Nazimov, uh, Blythe Daly, writers uh, Mercedes de Acosta, and Eva Legallien, and singer Billie Holiday. She never used the term bisexual, but did refer to herself as ambisextrous. <laughs> and according to <laughs> the book Tallulah, The Life and Times of a Leading Lady, her last words as she was dying of pneumonia, presumably from smoking 120 cigarettes a day, were a garbled request for codeine and bourbon, end quote. And <laughs> An icon, a queen. Truly, truly an icon. <laughs> Incredible. Like, there was so much more that I didn't even, this was just like some, like, clue, truly a Cliff Notes version of some of this stuff, but she seemed awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, anyways, uh, Gerson would dispute the, f- the claim that she was mimicking Bankhead, saying, quote, I didn't in- uh, intentionally imitate her. We both had phony English accents on top of our southern accents and a great deal of fl- flair, so our voices came out that way, end quote. Uh, however, though, uh, Cruella DeVille's animator, and, and I think what I read is that uh, Mark Davis was the only person who was the, or Cruella DeVille was the only character that had one animator, like a single uh-huh. animator, and it was Mark Davis. Uh, he did claim to have used Bankhead as one of the inspirations for the character design. So mm-hmm. he, in designing and drawing the character, pulled from Tulula Bankhead. But Gerson says that was not what she was doing when she was, or not, it was not an intentional imitation of her with the voice. Uh, the film's soundtrack was written by George Bruns, who worked on The Jungle Book, The Aristocats, Robin Hood, Sleeping Beauty, and The Sword in the Stone, and Mel Levin, with Levin writing the three musical numbers that appear in the film, uh, including arguably the most famous song from the film, Cruella de Vil. And then finally, uh, before we get to reviews, some IMDb trivias. Again, who knows how true any of this is. Um, apparently, Clarence Nash, who is the voice of Donald Duck, did the dog barks in the film. That's hmm. what it says. Uh, if you'll note that the, this is an interesting thing that I don't know if I noticed the male dogs or the male puppies wear red collars and the female puppies wear blue ones. And it is the same with Pongo and Perdita. They hmm. match their those sort of gendered collars, I guess. Uh, and apparently Dodie Smith quite liked this adaptation. That's nice. She said it was very good. So, all right, here are some reviews, uh, from the time. Howard Thompson, writing for the New York Times, said, quote, while the story moves steadily toward a stark melodramatic chase climax, it remains enclosed in a typical Disney frame of warm family love, human and canine. Uh, he would go on to say, quote, the songs are scarce, too. A few more would have braced the final starkness, end quote. So I thought, not as, not as, yeah. you know. It's not a heavy on song. Like I said, there's Disney three. movie, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, obviously there's music throughout, but there's right. three songs, yeah. like, you know, musical numbers, basically. Uh, Variety would write, quote, while not as indelibly enchanting or inspired as some of the studio's most unforgettable animated endeavors, this is nonetheless a painstaking creative effort. Uh, Time also enjoyed the film, praising it as, quote, the wittiest, most charming, least pretentious cartoon feature Walt Disney has ever made, (laughs) end quote, which I don't know if I would call much of anything that Disney was doing pretentious but sure maybe yeah. i don't know I, I i don't know that i would either. maybe this is less pretentious but i don't know if i would it's a that at least pretentious implies that the other stuff is pretentious and i don't yeah. know if i would call ah whatever <laughs> um and then uh finally from the time period harrison reports i don't harrison's reports i'm not sure what that is uh thought that children's and adults alike would be quote highly entertained by walt disney's latest a semi-sophisticated, laugh-provoking, all-cartoon, feature-length, feature-lengther in Technicolor, end quote. I guess they had to mention all-cartoon because, like, Mary Poppins and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, maybe Chitty Chitty Bang Bang had been at, or is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Disney? I th- or Bedknobs and Broomsticks? But or... I, I think Bedknobs and Broomsticks is. I'm not sure about okay. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I don't know. If, I guess those would have been out at this time, probably. Probably. Uh, anyways, maybe not, but I assume that's why he clarified all cartoon. Yeah, for for those reasons. Uh, and then, as you mentioned earlier, this film had been re-released a few times, uh, including once in 1991. And at that time, it was reviewed by Roger Ebert, uh, who gave the film three out of four stars, saying, "quote It's an uneven film with moments of inspiration in a in a fairly conventional tale of kidnapping and rescue. This is not one of the great Disney classics. It's not in the same league with Snow White or Pinocchio." 
but it's passable fun and will entertain its target family audiences, end quote. So he enjoyed it, but didn't think it was a classic. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to remind you, you can do us a favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads. Really would like if you do that. Make sure you're the things turned on so you see our posts because we like your feedback. Give us your feedback. Uh, if you want to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or any of those places, that would be super helpful. And as we mentioned at the top, if you want to support us on Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit and you can do that. Katie, where can people watch 101 Dalmatians? Well, as always, you can check with your local library um, or if you still have a local video rental store, you can check with them. Um, our library actually has this on Blu-ray. So if I don't forget, I might go get it. Yeah, do it. Um, uh, Barring that, you can stream this with a subscription to Disney Plus. Oh, that's true. And I I wonder if it's 4K on Disney Plus. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Or you can rent it for around four bucks from Apple TV, YouTube, or DirecTV. There you go. That's our next episode in one week's time. We're talking about 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, I'm interested, but I don't know. This was never my favorite Disney. Mm. It always, like, it was one hour I was always like, yeah, it's fine when I was younger. When I yeah. watched it, I was gonna be like, yeah, it's all right. I have not watched this since I was a kid, yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, same, so, yeah. Because I mean, it was never one of my favorites. It's not one I ever revisited as, yeah. as an adult. I, I mean, I probably watched it, like, during high school or something. But yeah. it's been a while, um, so I'm interested to to revisit it. Yep. I, I will say that, like, for... For some of the gripes about the art style, I I like the art style of this movie. I think it I looks think it's, like interesting. I do think the, the the kind of the general vibe I've I've gotten just uh, through cultural osmosis is that yeah, it has that people do like the look of this film and that it has mm-hmm. a distinct style. That even though maybe Disney wasn't thrilled about yeah, I, I think it, time, it looks it was, like I can see how it's related to other Disney films of the era, but I think it has kind of a unique look to it. Interesting. In well, my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'll be fun to check out. So yeah, that was what we're talking about in one week's time. Until that time, guys, gals, I'm better pals and everybody else. Keep reading books. Watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.